Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number five of our series in which we are studying end times Bible prophecy, based upon the series we have titled the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. Today, we will continue with part three of our consideration of Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 28, having to do with God's plan to revive the land of Israel, restore and to prosper them as a people to be reckoned with on the world stage. As usual, the text for this study is Volume 2 of the series called Judgment Day, Volume 2, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2, Israel Catapulted to Global Superpower as Russia Succumbs to Jewish Domination. Subtitle, A Muslim's Nightmare, the writer of said series being Mr. Alvin Mitchell and I, Michael, will be your host. Pray with us, please, that God will add His blessing upon this and all of the studies to come in this highly informative and instructive series. Texas T. Black Gold in Israel. Isaiah 45, 1-6. This is what Yahweh, Jehovah, says to His Messiah, anointed, to Cyrus. I will give you a depository in darkness, a secret storehouse, a buried secret valuable, in a concealed or covert place, so that you may know that I, Yahweh, who calls you by name, am the God of Israel, for the sake, benefit of my servant Jacob, and that of Israel my chosen, one, I have called you by name, even though you don't know me, so that from the rising of the sun in the east, and to its setting in the west, all others may know that there is none else beside me. This prophecy is directed to Cyrus, the pagan Medo Persian king who was entrusted with the responsibility of returning the Jews to their homeland following their 70 year stint in captivity to the Babylonians. The irony here is, Cyrus never got the message. He lived and ruled during the latter years of Daniel, at the time of the end of the Babylonian captivity. Isaiah, who delivered the prophecy, lived approximately 200 years before the 70 years of deportation. Thus, God's instruction to the prophet was, effectively, such that he was to speak to the king, but not directly, or, put another way, maybe even more accurately. The prophet Isaiah spoke at the king, but not to him, not in his presence, this was fairly commonplace in Old Testament prophecies, when a message had long-term significance, and so was simply to be reduced to writing, as its realization would or could only be read with appreciation in some generation to come. Nor were the Jews significantly benefited, beyond what might be considered the ordinary or norm by Cyrus. So, what was the point? In defining the term anointed, Messiah, Mao Shi Yah, used here. Strong's exhaustive concordance adds that Cyrus's position here is more a symbolic or figurative gesture than a literal one, given that he never knew. That is, insofar as he never heard the prophecy, it is therefore only fitting to conclude that Cyrus as a Messiah was so only as one who merely prefigured someone else who was to come, 
someone who in spirit or character would be not just similar to this Cyrus the king, but would be in a unique position so as to, per God's divine design, do the Jews a significant good. There is positively no record, biblical or otherwise, of this or any other king or person of any note performing this type of service on behalf of or in the interest of the people of God, not during the intertestaments period, not during New Testament times, and at no point during the 2,000-year interim period between then and now. No hidden treasures have ever been unearthed by any foreign power since their release from Babylonian exile, only to be turned over to them. Yet the historical record is clear. There is indeed plenty of precedent for just such a deed to occur. The Jews have a definite dire need for just such a blessing. The oilman cometh. The tenor of the prediction suggests that this buried valuable is to be something out of the ordinary with respect to the day of Isaiah, diverse, unexpected, largely unheard of, not unlike the wealth of the sea. A thing of great worth, nonetheless, something off the proverbial beaten path, not along the usual road to riches. Several Texas oilmen, all claiming to be Christians, of that evangelical variety, seem to think that they have the answer to the riddle, and they just might be right. Hence it is said of them, somewhat facetiously, Behold, there cometh oilmen from the west. It was noised about, once upon a time, that 55% of the world's oil preserves, during World War II, was under USSR soil. In recent days, that tune seems to have shifted its pitch a bit so that, while some estimates put 50% to 55% of all the world's oil in Arab Islamic Muslim hands, all vehement enemies of the Jewish state, who apparently refuse to do business with them, others figure they control approximately 75%. That amounts to oil production in barrels by the trillions, compared to current reserve output in Israel, which yields only enough for about one and one-half days. The expensive route of faraway imports makes up for their shortfall, given the Muslim oil barons' absolute refusal to sell to Israel. While one cannot yet be too overly dogmatic, at this juncture, about the nature of this promised treasure, we can be sure that God will make it available to the Jew via Gentile hands, whether in peace or in the aftermath of war, is not clear, nor is it ruled out. Some, however, are literally banking that this treasure will be Texas tea. This assumption may not be entirely without justification, in light of the absolute necessity and dependence of any modern industrialized economy on crude and petroleum products, and, given that Israel's demand far outstrips its ability to produce and satisfy its own need at this time. Nonetheless, as they regard this prospect as from a distance, with pinched noses, the well-established big oil companies of America have refused to get involved in Israel's hunt for the ever-elusive secret storehouse in its covert place, with his buried valuables, apparently not so much because they do not think there is any. They cite Israel's status as pariah nation, an outcast among its enemies and hate-filled neighbors. 
They refuse to jeopardize their standing with other enemy nations, Arab or otherwise, for sake of the Jew. Enter John Brown and Harold Hayseed Stevens, each claiming to be a born-again Christian with an interest in the future well-being of Israel. These two, along with a number of other Christian oilmen, have taken upon themselves to drill in specific locations throughout the Holy Land, including the Mediterranean and Mount Carmel. For the most part, their guide in their quest has been the Holy Bible, based upon their several views of biblical pointers. Unfortunately, many having been forced to walk away empty-handed, after investments totaling millions, over 400 wells have been drilled. One has yet to strike it rich. One Israeli-owned company went belly-up searching, making its lease available to one of these two most prominent of prospectors. For all, and in spite of, the misfortunes and bad investments of both competitors and progenitors of today's drill and search efforts, optimism still runs high. Zion Oil, Michigan-based, codenamed Project Joseph, and founded by John Brown, had its drilling apparatuses in place as of March 28, 2005, ready to rock and roll come the 31st. Its prospects are buoyed by supposed scientific studies which predict a high-probability strike which could potentially yield as much as 500 million barrels over a 15-year lifespan, as well as by a big find which occurred south of the Zion drilling last year. Mr. Brown's initiative is also said to have received a boost from famed Bible profiteer Hal Lindsey during its struggle to raise the necessary funding for Project Joseph. The Ness Energy International prospects have been in the works since the 80s, when founder Ernest Harold Hayseed Stevens Oilman, ordained minister, former football QB and hellraiser, got the privilege to meet with Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin. Mr. Began is said to have spoken words which indicated optimism about the prospects of a big oil find in Israel and that perhaps Mr. Stevens would be the one from the outside who would do the honors of unveiling it for Israel, an apparent reference to the Isaiah passage. Mr. Stevens died May 15, 2003, leaving his dream unfulfilled, its scope cut short by some expired leases but still alive and in search of vast amounts of oil in the Dead Sea area, the drive now headed by Sun Shea. The expectation was at one time that his Elohim Parasim Dufra One, Lord of the Breakthrough, find could be the world's largest, surpassing that of the neighboring Arab countries, Saudi Arabia being the largest producer in the world. Meanwhile, if there is one thing the Jews could benefit from at this moment, it's a breakthrough, a miracle, anything, given that as of 6-13-2004, its only producing oil field was near depletion, down to 25 barrels a day, to support the habits of a country in demand of 300,000 barrels per day. This begs and boosts to a higher pitch. The overarching question, when will God see fit to open the secret storehouse? Then 54, now 55-year-old Tovia Luskin, may well have the key to God's covert, concealed place, the one containing the valuable, and now much-needed, treasure. Trouble is, Luskin, with his background in geophysics, 
having worked in the oil industry for major companies, is a Russian-born ultra-Orthodox Jew and geologist who also believes in and relies on divine inspiration for guidance. The script specifies that the Messiah, the one to whom God will ultimately hand the baton to the benefit of the Jews, is to be a foreigner and an unbeliever after the order of Cyrus the king. Nevertheless, it need not follow that God cannot or will not bless Israel in the interim by the hands of one of his own. To that end, Luskin who affirms that there is indeed oil in Israel, and lots of it claims that his company, Givet Olam, Eternal Hills, based on a passage from Deuteronomy 33.15, has discovered a spot in the center of the nation valued in the billions. The rub is, well, development and extraction costs are expected to exceed the estimated value of the fine by about six times. To date, as of 8-1-2005, this outfit has nothing to show for all of its effort. Worthy of note, as of today, 8-6-2023, an article in a 2012 edition of The Times of Israel titled Oil Magnate Israeli Tech Can Solve the World's Energy Crisis. Mr. Chatter, Tavia's initiative appeared to be promising, insofar as the so-called Tamar, offshore gas field was expected to start yielding an estimated 8.3 trillion cubic feet of gas by 2013. An area north of the Tamar field, known as the Leviathan Deep Sea Field, was anticipated to double that output by 2016-2018. Luskin's Meged offshore oil field was found in 2004 and began producing commercial quantities of petroleum in late 2010. It was declared to be commercially non-viable as early as 1980. He foresees a potential for as many as 200 million barrels or more, roughly 10% of Israel's needs. With these and similar finds to its credit, former doubters and scoffers could see the tiny, otherwise energy-starved nation catapulted onto the energy export stage. Leviathan came online in 2019 and currently produces 12 billion cubic meters of gas annually, sold to Israel, Egypt, and Jordan, with the lofty expectation that it will help Europe reduce its dependence on Russian gas in the future. Thus then, it remains to be seen how these and similar ventures play out in the grand scheme of God's plan to bless and preserve His people. However, Based squarely upon the foregoing observations, one thinks it safe to say now that what the dark, covert, concealed place is containing a valuable treasure is much less a mystery than it ever has been. Where it is, is equally less a mystery, as is who will eventually find it. Given the nature and extent of the ever-enduring need, which is not likely to ever disappear, subside, though it must or will have to. One need not be surprised to awaken one morning to find that perhaps this place and its treasure have been visible and above board all along, albeit in the backyards and hands of Israel's hateful, belligerent, bloodthirsty Arab neighbors who foolishly threaten world stability and global markets by their constant tampering with crude prices. Why not? 
He took that narrow little stretch out of the hands of seven nations 3.5k years ago. Who's to say he could not or will not do the same today, so as to supply their crude needs? Should this option not materialize, not being to his liking, the Jews may find comfort in knowing that the Dead Sea region, as well as other finds, with its index of leading crude indicators, source rock, porous material, and a strong seal-like salt, could still prove to be promising, viable solutions. If the concealed secret place is not in Arab and or Russian hands, as it most likely is, then it may very well be under the Dead Sea. To be sure, however, it is without a doubt that everything these die-hard enemy nations control will ultimately fall prey to the Jews, as we shall see, although they will not actively seek it. That the world may know, God's action in blessing His people is not without basis or a goal, nor is it simply for the benefit of the Jew. Rather, to put it simply, it is so that He may rub His spirit presence physically in the faces of all those who are His detractors and rejectors, including the one chosen as His instrument to be Israel's benefactor. Sidebar. After almost 6,000 years of intervention, God's effort to corral and garner man's attention and affection has been largely fruitless. From the creation to Noah and the flood, to Israel and its law, to the Christ and the birth of His called-out assembly, from the death of the Church of the living Christ at the bloody hands of Rome, political and religious, to its rebirth by the hand and the will of the Father from within the corrupt and murderous Roman Catholic system, to the rebirth of the Jews, man has persistently and consistently refused to acknowledge the reality of his Maker. Therefore we are given to know that God does what He does when He does it, so that all may know. Him, marvelous is it not, how our God has set this thing up. His North American and European peoples, in His mind, fools, one and all, scattered virtually around the world, demonstrate daily the potential within the mind of man, although stupidly, all too many of them have ceded to themselves the only right to this potential, but left them bereft of the petro needed to fuel that potential. The U.S. had only about 4% of the world's oil reserves before its breakthrough development of extracting oil from shale rock and had to import roughly 56% of its needs as it used the most of any nation, with China fast on its heels. He has set a cantankerous Middle Eastern and East European peoples, equally damned fools in his mind, on top of the lubricant necessary to grease the world's lack while at the same time leaving him otherwise to his own devices, in which case he, too, is too foolish to ever bring himself to the forefront and distinguish himself on the strength of his true potential. Then there is this oddity, Caucasian, mostly maybe, and talented, rich in terms of both potential and the lube and other resources with which to lube that potential liberally in Greece, it sits poverty-stricken, unable to develop independently or to observe and learn from the rest of the free, industrialized world so as to free itself from the shackles of its own ideological backwardness. Yeah! When was the last time anyone saw so much as a good rubber duck stamped 
made in St. Petersburg, or Moscow, or Leningrad. Some did for a time drive a Russian Cadillac, but we all know how that went. Still for all this, blind man will not see the hand of the Almighty in his predicament. Hence God warns, I am doing this, so that men the world over may know that I am God, and that there is none other. Okay, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the culmination of another study of God's plan to finance the relocation and revitalization of His people in their original homeland, thereby elevating Himself in the eyes of a world that otherwise wishes not to see Him. As we depart, be sure to give us a like, tell others about the podcast, and set your sights on joining us next time for episode number six, in which we will begin to explore the hair-raising methodology God will employ in His bid to cement His reality into the consciousness of stubborn minds that refuse to acknowledge His existence. Until our next meeting, may God's hand of blessing continue to be upon you.